back to Slacks, a podcast about lesbian culture. Um, just a reminder, I'm Mallory. I'm from America, if you needed a reminder. Uh, Darina's from Ireland, and Mathilde is Belgian and Italian. Yeah. Um, so every week we talk about a different topic that interests us and you. Um, we also take a lot of uh, recommendations from our listeners, so feel free to email us at slackspodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Or find us on Slacks Podcast on Instagram. Oh, my God, we've gotten so much oh, better at this. So, so, so good. And today I would like to welcome our very special guest, Tash Walker, who's the co-chair of the LGBT Switchboard. Should we do like a little... Yeah. Welcome, Thank very exciting. It's so, it's so lovely to be here. It's so cozy. Thanks, Tash. Thanks for coming. No, Sorry we've pleasure. dragged you like to the other end of London. Walthamstow is very, very <laughs> far from most things, but it's where all of us live. So sorry about that. It's on the Victoria line, though. It is on the Victoria line. It's well connected. I mean, I'm on. flexible. It's okay. Good, good. Thanks, Tash. How's everybody doing? Pretty good. Drinking wine. Chilling out. Chilling out. How was your weekend, Mathilde? We had a great... Actually, I was with you for most of the weekend. We had a great You know weekend. how my weekend was. Friday oh, night. Oh, yeah, FOMO. What well, happened again? Yeah, you missed out. It was really good. So we went to the... <laughs> sorry, I have no sympathy because... I was in New York, so you were in it's New not York, like... Exactly. You know. exactly. Mathilde and I and a bunch of other people went to the Glory Halloween Ball at Hackney Empire, which was really, really awesome. Oh, just some incredible drag queens. Some incredible shows, some incredible music. It was like, I think it was like the first time that the Glory have done like a big thing, right? Yeah, they've definitely done some stuff at the Hackney Empire before, but it was like a ball. Um, this time it was like a ball and I think that's the first time they've done something they like that. Can we just discuss some insane. of the pictures and videos I saw? So there was yeah. a guy on stage naked with a firecracker coming out of his asshole. Yeah, yeah. that was Johnny Woo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who's that? It was amazing. He's, he's the head. The he's the, the, glory, right? he's, he owns the glory. Seriously? He co-owns the glory, but he's also like... I actually interviewed him like 13 years ago as part of a uni project oh. and he has been going for a long time. He used to live in New York and he was very much involved in the whole drag queen scene long before that was a thing in the UK. Mm. When he came back to the UK, he brought the whole drag queen scene to the UK. Amazing. And he's been going ever since and he just runs this whole like group of incredible artists slash drag queens um, and they just do something that's quite unique. It just yeah. goes way beyond just like dressing like a woman and like doing a stage a show on stage. It just goes. It's like art is kind of performance. What's it his name again? Johnny Wu. Yeah. Johnny Wu. We need to get you on. So if you're listening, <laughs> um, you're invited. I somehow don't think that he's listening to a lesbian podcast, but we, we can will check find that. a way. We will find a way. We can find that. Uh, so Tash, amazing to have you here. Thank you again. Um, tell us a little bit about Switchboard firstly. Okay, yeah. So Switchboard is um, an LGBT plus helpline. It's a charity that was set up 45 years ago and it's um, open to anyone who wants to ask questions or who has issues around sexuality and gender identity within the LGBTQ plus communities or beyond 365 days a year, 10 a.m. till 10 p.m. Amazing, so good. So needed. That's crazy. Yeah, I know it's mad. So we uh, celebrated our forty fifth um, birthday in March this year. Yeah, um, and it's just so it started back in nineteen seventy four, sort of off of the back of the partial decriminalisation of homosexuality in sixty seven, where uh, as as people started to talk about it more, the very much underground scene started to to break in to the overground. People had lots of questions and. Um, they would be contacting Gay News and the Gay Liberation yeah. Front. And off of the back of that, a bunch of activists got together and were like, 
let's start a helpline. So it started back in King's Cross um, in the basement of Hausman's Bookshop, which is still here to get today. It's like an anarchist bookshop. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been there since 1974 throughout all of the milestones of the LGBT plus communities. They literally yeah. can be traced in the calls that we've taken. So the yeah. history is insane. I Absolutely love it. It's amazing. it's amazing. So when these activists had to start the... Um you know, in the shop, was it kind of done in secret or were they actually allowed to do it? Yeah, um, I, I don't know whether it was done in secret. It was it was just them starting a helpline for five hours a week mm. in the basement. Um, but the way that they got their number out was slightly complicated. So a lot of it would be to do with m- word of mouth, um, but people also getting in contact with things like gay news, giving the number out through that. But also what they did, which was so um, genius and innovative, was that they would go into libraries, into the sociological section or like the sexual health section and stick the stickers of their number into books um, that seemed a bit like racy or saucy. So, yeah. Because that, at that time, that's exactly where people would have been like desperate to get like some yep. information about like about their sexuality, about how they were feeling. Like there was no, in- like obviously it's the 70s. There's no internet. There's nowhere for people to turn. So mm-hmm. the switchboard was was exactly providing that resource at that time. Yeah, totally. It's, it's really interesting to see how it changed from being, I guess, fundamentally an information line when it started. I think that's what the idea was, that people wanted to know where to go, they wanted to know where was safe, they wanted to know um, who who they could turn to to find where the nearest lesbian group was or if someone had been arrested or... The handkerchief code. Or the very sexy handkerchief code, Wait, yeah. can you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, sure. So um, the handkerchief code was a code um, that uh, gay men used to indicate what kind of sex they were interested in. So it was all about the colour of the hanky and where you wore it. Mm. Um, so uh, in the logbooks, which is sort of like these written, like written diaries that the volunteers um, kept with each other, like conversations about um, the calls they were taking and how to answer those calls, very much like the community asked and the volunteers responded. It's all sort of recorded in this incredible... Um, living, breathing diary. One of the things was, what's the hanky code? What do the colours mean? Um, So black would be leather. And if you uh, wore it in your left pocket, that would be someone who was up for giving, like... Um, or like, so I think like if you go down the S and M route, you'd have like sub and dom. Um, the yellow uh, hanky was about um, golden showers. So if you had it in your left pocket, you wanted specific. to put weed on, and then your wow. right, you wanted to have um, we on you. Um, it goes through all these different colors. Um, that is that is just is amazing. this like amazing. a thing where men would be like, this is what I want. Like I want to be weed on today, and they'd have like that. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's exactly what it was like. It was like, how do we send signals out there? And of course, so much was so subtle back then. Um, you know, you think you, we had these underground gay bars and things like that, but there was just so much subtlety that permeated society. Whether you were wearing a badge, people would worry about wearing gay badges. Mm. But of course, let's think about it. The only people who really knew that they were gay badges were the other people who were gay too. Like, I recognise that signal. And, you know, we all have it now. I know I have it. And I had it when I was younger. Like, I would be able to clock if someone was queer or, or if some uh, because of a badge or because not of gaydar I mean, well, well, that's a whole other thing we're all looking gaydar. for it let's be honest yeah yeah, yeah you totally <laughs> I think we, we did a whole episode on gaydar would be amazing right 
Yeah, I mean, sure. I, I can't even imagine what that or would be. Or just anyone who's <laughs> interested to be like, I'll go there. Likes cats. Or, right. Like cats. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. Right. or, you know, really into like a cat and a dog. Red like, wine we'll and do it. evenings in. It's yeah. not going to be as exciting. There, there is actually one um, on the Hanky Code that was Puce, and that was once to discuss uh, pre-Columbian art first, oh which God. seems quite so lesbian. Amazing. Yeah, we should, we should totally do the lesbian handkerchief code. <laughs> I think we should. We should bring it back. Although, I mean, that being said, I feel like an asshole saying that because they've, I mean, that we don't have to do that now. Like, we're so lucky that we live in a time where we don't. That is true. And Tess, you mentioned the logbooks yep. there for the for the switchboard. And you've just done, you've just started an amazing new podcast talking about the stories that are contained in the in the logbooks, which is incredible and amazing. And we've all listened to the first episode. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you. It's incredible. And it's, so good. it's just absolutely fascinating the amount of history and the richness of the history that's actually contained in these logbooks. Like, were you aware of their existence? Did you just come across them? Um, so, no, I wasn't until I was rifling around in the at switchboard as um, you do yeah just hanging out <laughs> hanging out in the roof um yeah and i they're, they're amazing so they go from 1974 to 2003 um they're all i mean they're all held at bishopsgate institute now which is where our archive is held but they are coming apart at the seams and it's all these handwritten conversations like i said earlier they're just amazing they're so rich and um when i found them we moved the archive to bishopsgate and as part of that I went, I spent about two years cataloguing and reading the logbooks and laughing one minute and crying the next. It's just mm. such an intense emotional journey. It's also really insightful and it's also so sassy. There's like all of these conversations between the different volunteers. There's like, it's so interesting. It runs parallels with what's happening in society yeah. during these, these times. There's the feminist movement in the 70s and you can see that sexism in, even, in, in, even in Switchboard, but within the queer community of Switchboard at the time and terrible jokes and people moaning about uh, washing up not being done or back in very quickly after switchboard started it became a 24-hour helpline and so you'd have night shifts and there'd be a sleeping bag that people would use and there's like complaints about if you're going to use the sleeping bag please don't leave your sperm in the sleeping bag and like all of this stuff so I mean it's a practical issue yeah yeah would you ever turn it into obviously making it um anonymous would you ever turn it into a book yeah so that's that's a really good point and that's something um some people have said before I guess um so the the first this first season of the logbooks podcast is 74 to 82 and it, they run until 2003 and there's there's just so much in that that would be like, I guess, a massive project in itself. And I hope that this podcast goes one step, another step in the right direction to be able to open these up much more. Um, and uh, yeah, a book would be fantastic. So do you feel like that within the decades, I mean, have you gone through all of them, yeah. by the way? You have. OK, so have you noticed any sorts of trends every single decade? Yeah, I think Things so. Things getting better or anything like that? Uh, it's a difficult question. Um, I think... Okay, so there, there are pinnacle changes, um, which we can highlight in societal and cultural changes um, and in legislation. So in the 70s, you have a lot of conversations around um, the police raids and uh, importuning, so being arrested for flirting effectively. Um, there's also a lot of conversation uh, just around... Um, being out and open and uh, societal oppression from that. Then if you go into the 80s, you've got... Um, the HIV and AIDS crisis, which just hits and slams the logbooks and our entire community with a force that no one had any idea that was coming. 
Um, it's just it's still really really difficult to I, I think it always will be. And then you also have Section Twenty Eight, which which came in, which was um, a law brought in by the Conservative government to prevent the um, promotion of homosexuality, um, and that's what led to schools not being able to yeah. talk about it. Which is what we're you know anyone who's like our generation is a product of that was revoked in two thousand and three. So still wow. not that long ago. Yeah, the nineties. And, you know, these are the big milestones, I guess, historical milestones in queer history in Britain. The 90s, you had the Admiral Duncan bombings. That's the Soho bombings in 99, um, where just it it devastated the the queer community. Um, And and, we've got people who, who came from being in Soho directly to the phone lines to answer calls from people. Um, from people who were part of the LGBT community, but friends and families who were concerned and then just really heartbreaking stuff is a couple of days later there's volunteers writing about people calling in and saying you deserve this 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 wow. is this was just what the, you know you got wow. what, you, what was coming for you and it's just it it's like this throughout the whole thing and um and it goes up to 2003 and then we finally caught up with technology in the charity right and how how has the the switchboard evolved since two thousand three? What like new methods are you guys using now? I assume you're still using the phone lines. Yeah, the, so eighty percent of calls. Um, and when I talk about calls, I talk about people contacting us. So eighty percent right. of people contacting us are through the phone, and then you have instant messaging, which is a much younger demographic who are contacting us, and then um emails like live as well. chat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you yeah. just yeah, like um MSN. Remember those oh, days? Wow. Oh my god! Wait, how you're can still I using Amazon? Well, it's not quite. No, okay. no BRB. I wish you were. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, they shut that down a couple of years ago. Did I they? had my first internet. Doesn't Microsoft on Amazon? Isn't that what it is? No, they shut it down. Oh, yeah, I think they did. Well, or IP MSN. Uh, you mentioned there, Tash, about the Admiral Duncan bombings and. Yeah. Was that 1999? So yeah, 30th anniversary this year. My God! So I remember. Um, I remember seeing that mm. on the news. I don't know if it reached the US or or Italy. Not to my knowledge, no. Um, I was too young, probably at the time, to care. I think no I offense, was about, but I was a teenager. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In yeah. nineteen ninety nine, I think I was about. Um, I think I was about fifteen. I think, and I remember it so clearly. My parents were out of the house. I had free reign of the TV. Um, and I remember just like flashing past like Sky News or something and seeing the footage of the Admiral Duncan Duncan bombing and seeing people like walking, stumbling around Soho, which I'd never been to at that point, mm. but obviously know incredibly well now and people with just like bloodied faces and it was really awful, awful scenes. And I knew very well at that point that I was gay and I remember just crying my eyes out because yeah. I was like, it was a very, such a real depiction of people want to hurt people like me. Mm. And... Like we didn't have, to my knowledge, we didn't have an equivalent of the the switchboard in Ireland. Mm. If we did, I didn't know about it. If we did, I probably wouldn't have been brave enough to right. um, to ring it. And we didn't have the internet at that point. And there was literally like, you know, I just had to sit with my feelings because nobody mm. knew I was well, gay. Well, Ireland was traditionally quite divisive with homosexuality, right? Up oh, until totally. recently. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, it still is. Like, yeah. it still, I think, always will be. But in Ireland, homosexuality wasn't decriminalised until 1993. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, there's a, as, uh, you know, as you've described, there's a lot of periods in, in Irish history that are um, very, very dark in, in that point of view as well. But I think, you know, how incredible, how incredibly difficult it must have been for the switchboard to, to have to handle 
um, such an, a huge event that hit the gay community, but what an incredible resource that it provided at that time when yeah. there was no internet and, and a lot of people probably had nowhere else to turn. Yeah, I think time. it's really interesting what you said as well about you seeing this on TV and knowing that you were gay. And and that just draws to like what we're talking about a lot more now in the uh, the time that we're in at the moment and is that you didn't see a representation of yourself except Absolutely. for in this incredibly negative way. Totally. And then suddenly that's your first association in the media. Yeah. W- what message is that sending? Yeah. Um but but yeah the the helpline yeah, it was an incredible resource for people at that point. Um there's actually a note in the logbooks where um, someone, a volunteer has written what's happened and then underneath it says uh, John Peel rings in to give his support and then wow. another thing wow. about Elton John calling in, he's going to oh, do no a fundraiser. So, yeah. Oh, God, that, oh no. So, oh, wow. That really <laughs> that's incredible. crazy. Yeah. Also, was, the, was there any way for like messages to be, I mean, because obviously all of this was confidential. People wouldn't really advertise that they were calling the switchboard, right? So was there anything, like, any other advocacy that the switchboard would do kind of more on, on like, a public level? Or was it too, uh, I guess, tumultuous at the time to, to, to do anything like that? Um, so I guess it's twofold. You'd have the confidential calls around support, but the switchboard became a sort of hub of information as well. So you would ring up the switchboard and say oh, what's going on with this? Or um, can you put the word out about that? And it's changed. And that's very much the the way that we are at the moment. Mm. And now we're a non-political, confidential organisation that's about being open um, for people to ask us questions. And, you know, those questions can be slightly controversial. And we have people who ring up who may have homophobic or transphobic views. And then we, as volunteers, would be in a position to... Uh, talk to them about why they feel that way and you know sometimes the volunteers take incredibly difficult calls but you know, there's something in someone calling and mm. challenging with a small c as they say and all those things but in terms of advocacy work it, it, it was such a different organization back then and in the 70s and the 80s and you know going on into the 90s and even now Lots of people find it difficult to pull away any political um, identity from being LGBT plus. And I think mm. that there were so many activists embedded in um, Switchboard and right. you'd see them. Things grew up out of Switchboard. So the people who founded Stonewall, um, like a couple of those were volunteers at Switchboard and that's how they met. Um, some other volunteers went on to start the National AIDS Map, which was put together from information that people were getting during the HIV crisis. So you've got to remember at this time, no one knew anything. And the people who knew the most were the people who had HIV, the people who were taking the drugs and they were having the side effects and pushing and protesting and ACT UP, another organisation that really pushed that forward. So we became a point of contact for people to find out what the best medication was to take to, what what were the side effects, all these sorts of things. So... Yeah, I think there was a lot of incredible advocacy work that was done within it. Um, and, and I, yeah, I think it was a finishing school for LGBT activists, without right. a doubt. Yeah. And I you mean, used yeah. to give um, accommodation as well. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Is that still, how, how did that come about? Is that I, still happening? I yeah. absolutely loved this section of the podcast because so much of it resonated with me. Um, but go ahead and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we started an accommodation service back in the 70s. Um, and it's it's really interesting because... I, talking uh, that's in the first episode um, of the podcast and we go on to talk to um, some people who work in outreach now with LGBT plus people who are homeless or um, are struggling with their home situation 
But um, I guess because Switchboard became this point of contact, this central hub in the UK, people reached out to them first and foremost whenever they landed in a big city, um, especially London. And from that, um, through the kind hearts of strangers and people, um, they started to say, well, I've got a spare room if anyone needs it. And back then, I mean, this still happens now. And I think there's a statistic where it's like 25% of people who are homeless identify as LGBTQ+. Um, it, if you lose your home, then what do you have? And yeah. I, I, and Switchboard just grew, up, grew out of um, a need and um, a demand for safety, I suppose. Mm, yeah. and, and it's really complicated. It's, and we explore this in the episode you know, you have really um, fantastic people who are giving up their spaces, their homes, their rooms to, to help and support incredibly vulnerable people in need. Um, but you also had people who took advantage of that situation. Yes. And yeah. and that's that's really, really heartbreaking. And I mean, it, it it's so true. And it has like, I think it, it most definitely continues to this day that if you're gay and you're moving um, to a new city, and you you probably want to live with other gay people because you know that you'll be safe or you know that you'll have something in common or you won't feel awkward if someone stays over or like any of that. And like when I first moved to London 14 years ago, I found um, a company in Soho called Outlet, I think they were called. I nice. think they're still going. Name. I think they're still going. <laughs> but it was like to team people up in like gay flat shows. And that's like immediately where I zeroed in because I was like, if I'm moving to London, I'm hiding nothing. I want to completely be myself. I don't mm. ever want to feel uncomfortable. I'd been in house shows in, in uni and obviously I lived with my parents. So I knew what it was like to not feel comfortable in your in your home. And that was like 14 years ago. I can only imagine like what it must have been like in the 70s. And like, mm. you're exactly right. The first thing that people did was, was call the switchboard because mm. that was the resource. And yeah. that's where people needed to go. I find it really interesting that you chose home as the first episode the topic of the first episode as well because it could have been so easily been different topics like you know sex and love and relationships and clubbing but home as the first episode I think is a really bold brave choice but so interesting so important yeah I think that's kind of the way if you look at all of the different episodes um we, we try to have like a consistent theme of someone's experience as they go through life I suppose and and maybe not just life but life where they accept who they are sexuality gender identity because that can happen in your later later years early years middle of your life and home is always a really important thing it's that foundation um that you either have or you don't and it can make such a big difference and yeah I, I don't know it really resonated with me and it's got one of my favorite stories which is um about the separatist household. I loved oh, that. I love it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> tell tell it for the people so who haven't <sighs> heard it. Um, okay, so uh, I'll just do a summary because the person we interviewed just tells it so well, um, Suzanne. And she, uh, <laughs> so she lived in the separatist household. Um, so a separatist household is basically a group of women who um, just don't, just try to limit all interactions with men mm. completely. And they all live together in a sort of like commune household. And... Um, we asked her to describe what it would be like to walk into this household. And it's, I just was listening to you and I was like, God, stereotypes are just so there for a reason. It's so perfect. <laughs> She's like, well, you'd walk in and there'd be, you know, we're all vegetarians. We'd probably be <laughs> cooking some lentils over the stove. And then after dinner, we'd have um, consciousness aware, awareness raising sessions. You know, they're really difficult. We spoke about our feelings. People cried. It was hard. <laughs> 
Does That's like, a lesbian so relationship. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it hasn't changed that my life. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and what year was this? What year was the separatist house? Um, so this is, I think it was 75, 76. Wow. Right. Dear, are you considering seeing no, the I'm modern, okay. modern day one? I live on my own, so I'm fine. <laughs> That's my own version That's of a separatist. Separate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely not vegetarian. Separate. No, definitely not. So what can people expect from the rest of the amazing podcast? Have you guys like broken it down into like different themes yeah so each along. yeah exactly so each episode have a, has a different theme um and they cover there's eight different episodes and they cover lots of different themes but some of the hi- highlights i guess for me i love everything every single part of it and speaking to all of the contributors has just been fantastic so just to explain we've used the logbook entries as sort of like a springboard or launch pad to then um hear stories from people who have experiences uh within the time period we're looking at 74 to 82 um and 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 they're all like lgbtq plus people and 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 their stories so let them do the talking yeah um you know i i wasn't around during that that those years and i and i want to learn from their history and it's really important to me that it's not me telling that history, it's mm. it's them telling me their experiences. Um, so, yeah, we've got Home and then we've got Nightlife, um, which Amazing. is episode two, which is, a, there's a really cute story in episode two about two women. Um, so I won't share it here, but just listen. Oh, it's give so us a good. little bit. So um, they... Right. You, you can't like just <laughs> okay, like, say so, cute story about <laughs> lesbians and not share so, it. <laughs> okay, so they like effectively met um, through Switchboard and um, end up going to Gateways, which is this uh, gay club on the King's Road, which is no longer here. And uh, they, oh, they're just so, so adorable. They um, talk, like, Lynn turns up with a massive handbag and she doesn't realise lesbians <laughs> don't have massive handbags. <laughs> they start dancing to Willow on the dance floor and they're still together, like, all of these years oh. later. How would they have met through Switchboard? Well, yeah, yeah, so... Uh, so this isn't something that we do now. And this was at the very beginning of Switchboard when there were no rules, there were no regulations. This organisation wasn't a charity. It was just a phone line. And so they both spoke to um, a volunteer called Val, who, um, and they were both going through really difficult times. And Val said, you know what? You two should hang out and just make friends, I guess. But little did yeah. she know what she was starting. Well, what year was this in? Uh, so well, se- like, seven, like 70s. Wow. The 70s. They're still together. Oh, yeah, so they're so sweet. Um, so go ahead. No, no, go for it. Well, I was just going to say, what kind of inspired you to even get involved in Switchboard? And Um, how long have you been with them? Uh, eight years. Wow. So I, when I was at uni in Bristol, um, I found, I saw an advert in the local timeout for, um, more female volunteers for the Bristol Switchboard, which is now closed. Used to have loads of regional Switchboards that all started, around the same time that Gay Switch, well, then Gay Switchboard started. It became London Lesbian and Gay Switchboard and now Switchboard. Um, so many of these have shut due to funding cuts and complications and lots of things. But um, but Bristol was still going. It was just a Tuesday night and I started doing that when I was at uni. Um, and then I moved to London and stopped volunteering. And then I was just like, oh, I don't know. I just really want to get back into, into that. And I think it's part partly due to the fact that I had a really positive experience when I was coming out. My family were nothing but incredibly supportive. Um, I I feel very, very lucky for that. Um, But I was in a really isolated area, grew up in Devon and um, didn't know anyone else who identified as LGBT plus for a while. And yeah, and I guess even me with all of my privileges that I have and with this fantastic experience, 
I felt isolated. I felt alone. And I didn't know about Switchboard when I was growing up. And it caused me a lot of distress um, when I was younger, just feeling so different. Um, I remember crying to my mum when I was like 10 and saying, please don't let me be gay. You know, it's just like, this is all because of cultural and societal and media mm, outlets yeah. that just permeate into children's brains. Um, so I guess I just wanted to be a part of something that would help other people who were in a similar position, um, no matter what their individual circumstances are. What did your mother say to you when you said, please don't let me be gay? Um, she said, I will love you whatever you are. Oh, oh, God. God, I wish my mom said that. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really lucky. Oh, Hashtag God, let's, Maureen. No, um, that's not... Bring up um, Maureen again. She broke my heart. I was five. She's she five. Oh, yeah. I remember this episode. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was our first episode, actually. Actually, was speaking of Maureen, episode? it was our very first yeah. episode. We've seen pictures of her We've now. We've seen a picture of her now, which sounds really creepy. But my hometown um, <laughs> set up a Facebook group okay. uh, about six months ago and start, people like started like sharing like old school photos and stuff. And one of my class photos from when I was probably about six, got put on um, Facebook and I hadn't seen it. I just like, my sister was like, oh my God. And I'm in it and Maureen is in it. And we're in like, like as polar opposite, like positions within the um, photograph. She's paying hard to get even then. Yeah. <laughs> you were so recognizable when you were a child. You look exactly the same. What dark I mean, hair. yeah, you I had very exactly different hair and I was like, I was smiling so brightly. Oh. Actually, that reminds me when I saw that photograph and I remember because I am like giving it like the absolute like cheesiest smile. And I remember looking at that picture and going, I was so unhappy, like oh. even then. No, but seriously. Um, and it, it was only ever going to get like harder I think mm. at that point and mm. then obviously you know you grow up and, and it definitely does like get easier but it's strange like seeing a picture of yourself at that age and going oh my mm. god you're gonna like go you through remember. it yeah but then everything's gonna be fine did you did you feel like you were equipped to deal with the stuff because obviously you came from I, I'm only saying privilege because I think it is a privilege to come out and to have a family be quite accepting of you mm -hmm. Matilda I feel like had a very similar experience with that too and, um, you know, and I like, did you feel like you were equipped to kind of deal with the questions that you would get on the phone from people? Yeah, it's a good question. So we have you have quite intensive training when you start at Switchboard. Um, so you do seven Wednesdays mm. and it, as part of the training, it's about not teaching you everything because that's impossible. Mm. And there's no situation where I can say I've been in that situation mm. um, but it's more about teaching you how to listen and support people and uh, give people space to be able to explore what's going on for them and feel heard I feel supported and ultimately not to feel alone. Mm. How much has that training changed as things like gender nonconformity and queerness become more and more part of the of the everyday life and the lingo. Yeah, it's changed a lot. I mean, when I started, just even the organisation itself and the way we look internally, when I when I joined Switchboard, I was the only woman in my um, training group. Everyone else was a white cis gay man. Um, and that was, like, me joining as a woman was, uh, like, a fantastic thing. Um, and, we're, you know, we're an organisation that's been going for a long time. We have a, a lot of volunteers between like around 150 volunteers and um the training is is there to be able to allow people to yeah just have no barriers to discussions um so the training changes and evolves and we like to think we do as an organization as society evolves and, and a good example of that is language if you look back at 
blogbook entries around the 70s, you know, people, you don't have that many calls around gender identity. You, you've got really archaic words used like transvestite um, mm-hmm. and transsexual. Um, and what's really interesting is that now we're in a, we're at a position, we're in a time where language has evolved so much that suddenly people who are exploring their gender identity have a much a wider vocabulary to be able to understand that and explain that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that we're always evolving. We're always updating our training accordingly. Um, and I, I'd like to think that we're moving with the times as quickly as possible, but people always uh, yeah, evolve much quicker and for the better. So, yeah. you know, you can only really learn from the community that you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm just staring at your folder oh, yeah. on your lap. Um, <laughs> are you able to share yeah. a little... Okay story with us yeah so i had a look at some logbook entries there was what there's a couple that i thought you might be interested in so okay let's have a look so okay there's there's a few should i just go through them whatever yeah, yeah whatever yeah, 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 yeah okay so so here's okay so this is a logbook entry December 17th, 1975. It's it's entitled Women's Clubs. A woman caller asked if there was anywhere for women to go after 11pm. As far as I can see, there isn't. Is this really so? Any suggestions? Just to, the idea that... In London. You're sort of limited. Right. Yeah. Um, that's quite mad. Um, and this is, this is one of my favourite logbook entries. So this is from August the 23rd, uh, 1975. Um... Leeds Che, so Che stands for uh, homosexual campaign for homosexual equality. Leeds Che and Gay Liberation Front are asking gays to boycott the new Penny, formerly Hope and Anchor, as management are refusing admittance to women wearing trousers. Oh my God. What York <laughs> York lesbian group looking for new meeting place as landlord has become oppressive. He is also refusing to serve people wearing gay badges. So they oh. knew. Okay, so this is actually something you brought up earlier. Yeah. So that you said that only gay people knew what gay badges were, but obviously the police and other people were catching wind of what these badges were. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's all I have to say about it. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's it. Yeah, I guess it's when... Yeah, I suppose it's when the club becomes a bit more public. Um, so in the 70s, women wearing trousers would be an yeah. issue. And yeah. that was like a sign of women being gay? Or was yeah, it just... that's, well, that's effectively what they're inferring here. In the 70s? Well, I guess it yeah. probably it probably. What about flares? Like, <laughs> no, seriously, what about flares? I mean, maybe it was a different kind of trouser. Maybe like a more like masculine kind yeah. of slacks thing. Slacks. slacks, exactly. <laughs> nice work, Tash. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for reminding us why we didn't know <laughs> <laughs> And that is exactly why. Um, so here's another. These are, two, these are two things. So as well as being... Um, notes from volunteers and sometimes very difficult to read handwriting there are things that are pasted into the logbooks um so this is a typed up um notice Uh, so it's in bold underlined headline gays are under attack last night a gay man was abused and assaulted in the marlborough public house after further insults this time from the bar staff all the gays in the bar were ordered to leave and because of the injustice of this action it was we who had been insulted and attacked we refused to leave and the police were called and when they arrived provoked a scuffle in which two lesbians and one gay man were arrested the man escaped the two women are appearing in court today charged with obstructing the police wow oh my God, that that's from 1978 um and then this this last one which i'll show you so um you can see it's like a it's a poster 
And this is from November 3rd, 1981, and it's called Defend Judith Williams. So one of the things that I learned loads about whilst speaking to people from this period of time and reading the logbooks and doing research around it um, was the the things that, you know, you hear a lot about men being arrested and um, that, that going on their criminal record and what was at risk for them. Two things that I learned um, around women was that whilst men had this battle with um, yeah, having a criminal record, cottaging, being arrested for sex or literally just for flirting and platooning, um, women were going through two things. One, custody battles. So if you had children um, and you left your husband or the courts found out that you were a lesbian, then you would have absolutely zero access or zero custody to oh, your children. God. It just cut What off. year was this one? This is in the 70s and the 80s, to the point that if the husband didn't want to look after the children, those children would go into care. Oh. You had zero, zero rights. Rather than go with the mother, they go into care. Yeah. So, so many women would call up Switchboard and talking to people and just saying, I'm, I'm just not going to leave him until or my partner until the kids are old enough because I, I just can't lose yeah, the, my yeah. children. I mean, another thing um, that that was this is true for both men and women. Um in the time but specifically Judith Williams going back to Judith so this is in relation to employment law and the fact that people would find out that you were a lesbian and then deem you not to be uh, a responsible or upstanding member of society and you would lose your job so um, so just to read this poster um, it starts off if your employer told you were excellent at your job and then added that you were temperamentally unsuitable for it you might well be surprised if you were then asked to resign you might well be very angry unlikely well that's exactly what's happened to house parent judith williams so judith is a well-known and respected open lesbian woman in north wales where she lives and works and the request to resign came after she'd worked five months in a home for adolescents run by the agency Care Concern. So she was sacked because she's a lesbian and refuses to deny it. And what year was this then, sorry? 1981. I feel like that still kind of happens, but you can actually sue somebody and win for that. Yeah, today. you have more employment rights Right, now. Yeah. yeah. That is terrible. Yeah. And the switchboard as well must have been... Um, a very, very important resource for legal advice because not, you know, as, exactly as you just described, there was so much like discrimination and mm. and everything else and not everyone could go and speak to a lawyer or a, a, afford to pay a lawyer, a lawyer or who are you going to find who's going to be or sympathetic know what to your right, case right. or, be as or well. even yeah, know whether or not it's, it's legal or not. So yeah. you guys were an incredible resource for that as well. Did yeah. you guys have any legal people who would volunteer their time or any lawyers or anything like so that? So we'd have referrals to lawyers. Yeah, okay. so there's, there's two things there. We spoke to one woman who, um, as I was talking about a second ago, had a custody battle for her child and she... Um, she didn't have enough money to be able to afford a lawyer. So she got legal aid, which actually led to her getting incredible legal representation. And she ended up getting joint custody. But it's heartbreaking um, when she told us, and this is one of the stories in the in the um, podcast, where she talks about, you know, it wasn't just trying to try to get joint custody of her child. It was standing up in such a public place and standing by her sexuality and what she'd chosen to to come out at that point and saying, this is who I am, that was just incredibly difficult for her because there was no going back from that point when mm. she stands up there and she says that she is this lesbian woman and she's proud of who she is. Mm. You know, the, the hardest and probably one of the most amazing things that she's ever done. 
at such a difficult time when you know you're mm. in the midst of losing your child and dealing with with everything that goes with that yeah. um but in answer to your question as well regarding police and and lawyers and did we work with those people yeah we did and actually um there was this one lawyer called David Offenbach who mm. is um written about time and time again in the logbooks uh as someone that you would refer callers to if they got arrested and mm. we got hold of him and we spoke to him oh, wow. uh, in the podcast so which episode to, is that uh that's the one on police so it's on called police. pretty policeman okay. i think it's like episode three or four actually oh. this is like perfect segue so how are you getting the word out there about logbooks like what what kind of how, how do we find it the podcast yeah um so I guess I'm here talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's called The Logbooks and um, it's available wherever you can get your podcasts. Um, and there's also a website, which is thelogbooks.org. And if anyone wanted to get in touch with Switchboard, how's best to reach you guys? Yeah. So you can contact us um, on the phone, which is 0300 330 0630. Uh, via our website, you can instant message us switchboard.lgbt or email chris at switchboard.lgbt. And lastly, what's your hope for the podcast? Um, that the more people hear it and that it helps to spread the word that queer history is not just queer history. It is also everyone's history. Mm. Actually, I have a nerdy question yeah. for you. Okay. So just listening to episode zero, which was a huge teaser for me and only being able to listen to the first 15 minutes of episode <laughs> one. Um, how did you guys actually end up recording it? Were you going to the people and, and just kind of doing your own setup there or? Yeah, we okay. just had a Zoom and we went around interviewing people. Fine. Um, okay. Yeah. It sounds very cool. Like I'm very excited to to listen to it. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to, wait to hear what you guys will think of it. It's, yeah. It's amazing what we've heard so far. And thank you so much, Tash, for coming to talk to us and to share some stories and listen to the podcast. It's called The Logbooks. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast. Great. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Bye. Bye.